where I work that just are usually a part of almost every conversation. One of the early things is, you must see a lot of interesting people. Yes, yes I do. It's part of the nature of the business. Then a question will come like, what's the strangest thing that you've ever had come in your shop? And like I said, I've seen some really strange people. No, it's not the people, it's the employees. Um, no, there are some weird things that come in. Um, and just so I don't leave you hanging, the weirdest thing that I've ever had that jumps out to me is I had a guy bring in a snake. Now, not in a tank, on his arm. He walked in, he's got the head of the snake just, you know, he's holding it right below there and it's coiled multiple times around his arm. Nothing else, just walks in. I'm like, okay, he's got a pet that's a little strange, it's not my thing, but comes up to the window and it's a security window, it's got a little tray underneath to put money or jewelry or whatever, and comes up and holds it near the tray and says, do you guys take snakes? I'm like, no, I don't actually. And I don't know if it goes through that, what I'm gonna do, but please don't let it. And I thought, okay, this is just, you know, a weird but effective icebreaker of, and so I said no, and I thought, okay, well, this is what I really meant to bring. And he turned around and walked out the door. Like, that is weird. I mean, you didn't have anything else. You just walked in with a snake. What am I gonna do with a snake? So weird things happen. Uh, I didn't, I should have, I have a picture of it, but I didn't think to do it. Um, I had somebody a couple months ago actually come in with a monkey, not to bring me, but it was just like, I didn't realize it at first that it was, it was this little tiny monkey that was just attached to their waist, loose, no leash, no nothing, just grabbing onto them. It's like, that's cool, but that's also strange. But as long as it's happy with you, uh, one of my coworkers decided it might be a good idea to see if he could hold the monkey. And those little monkeys have teeth, didn't bite him, but he showed the teeth. It was like, yep, I'm good, I'm good. I just wanna look at it, take a picture, show my kids, and I'm cool. So that was, there's some odd things that I've seen. One other question that comes up, and this is kind of more to the point of what we're gonna talk about today. People will ask me, okay, when somebody brings in something to a place like where you work, to a pawn shop, how do you know how much to give for it? How do you know what it's worth? How do you know what the value is? And there's a lot of criteria you can imagine. Um, age, the age of something has a big bearing on it. If it's electronics, it kind of goes through that weird phase of if it's really new, it's expensive. If it's a little older, it's not expensive. If it gets old enough and it's special enough, it can be worth something because it's vintage. Then there's the condition. Is it well, well has it been well treated? Is it in rough shape? Is it good in shape? What does it look like? What's the condition? Rarity is another factor. Is it unique? Are there a bunch of them? Is it one of a kind? Factors into it. And all these things kind of process together, but it really comes down to, if you want to ask what value is, it comes down really to one thing. And this is kind of my favorite definition for value. I'll give it to you. That value is strictly the amount that someone is willing to pay for something. Because it doesn't matter what you think it's worth. If somebody won't give you that, it really, in the real world, it doesn't have that value. That it's ultimately what someone is willing to pay for something. And it's different for each of us. I want you to think back to the last time you went shopping. Maybe it was for something, a bigger purchase. Maybe these days with the way the economy is going, it was gas or it was groceries or whatever it was. And you walked in and you looked at something, you said to the person with you or you thought in your mind, I would never pay that much. For that. 
And it's different. We all assess things differently. We all have different perspectives on value, what we would spend, what we would be willing to pay for something. That's its value to us. And it's more than just things. In the way that our world works, the way we work as humans, it's more than just things. It's people. That we live in a world and we do it whether we want to or not, but we look at people and we're constantly assigning or wondering or thinking about what their value is, what our value is. It's not even that we want to do it or we try to do it. It just feels like sometimes we're surrounded by people who think they are professional life appraisers. And you know who's the worst? Me. And you know who's just as bad? Maybe you, if we're honest. We don't try to, we don't want to, but we can't help ourselves sometimes of just looking around us and constantly judging things and people and wondering what their value is, what our value is, all those different things. But as we do that, as I do that, I tend to find that there's one person that I always get the value for wrong. And I think if, if I could ask you, if you might be honest, that maybe you struggle with understanding your value too. Because we, it can change day to day. It can change hour by hour, some of us minute to minute. Because if we woke up and we're well rested and it's a beautiful day, we get up and we feel really good about ourselves. Today's awesome. I feel good. Maybe you had a really good event happen and you're riding the high and you feel great. Or maybe... You didn't sleep well, you don't feel well, that news came through. Or that thing that you're wondering about is still on the horizon and you start wondering, what am I really worth anyway? And it's weird because it shouldn't change that much, but yet it does. And we judge ourselves on, interestingly enough, similar criteria that I use every day to value things. Age, how old are we? What condition are we in? Don't ask. Um, rarity, do I feel special? Do I feel unique in the world? Do I feel like I make a contribution? Compound what I think and feel and wonder about myself with all the other people around us that either are or we're afraid they are judging us and assigning our value. And it weighs on us. And we wonder what our value is. So rather than hiding, because that's what we can often do with a question like this, rather than pulling back and just trying to ignore it, turn the radio up or whatever we do, I want to ask you two questions this morning. First of all, the question is this, what is your value? What is your value? What is your value? And when you get asked a question like that and when we focus on it, I want to ask you a follow-up question because it can affect everything else. The question is this, how do you decide what your value is? Because you have criteria. I have criteria. They're all, some things are standard to all of us. Some things are unique to you and how you see the world and how you see your spot in it. But when you think about what your value is, how do you decide? What do you measure it by? 
What is that thing or what are those sets of things that tell you your value in this world? Are they changing? Are they constant? What is it that you use to decide when you face the question, what is your value? It'd be nice if it was as easy as when we were little kids. If you grew up in a loving home or with a good environment or just a good friend group, when we're young enough, it doesn't matter. You ever ask a little kid that question? You kind of ask that My dad says I'm strong. My mom says I'm smart and awesome. My son's in the other room, so I'm going to embarrass him. He won't say this later. I have this video of him when he's very young. Somebody took He's like, I'm Ethan. I'm smart, strong, and brave. That's one of my favorite videos. It's just really short, but he has no wonder about his value. He doesn't. He feels very confident in who he is. But yet we get past that stage where maybe our parents' voices aren't as loud in our ear. Well, they're loud, but they're ignored. We don't listen. They don't have, the words don't carry the same weight, even though they're just as, just as loud or louder, depending on what we're doing. Take your headphones off now. Earbuds now, not headphones. That was an older generation. So you have to go headphones, earbuds. But our voices, those voices die down and we start thinking through. And I thought, as we hit different stages of life, what do we, what do we use to decide our value? And this is not going to be an exhaustive list, just try and get our minds thinking this morning. But I thought of, as we get into the kind of middle school, high school years, we start basing our value on our friends, do we have them? Do we have a lot of them? Our looks? Maybe clothing trends? Do we fit in fashion-wise? Do we have sports abilities? Do we have social skills, talents? As we get a little older, maybe, what are our dating relationships? How is that going and how does that affect how we feel? We get a little older, we graduate high school, maybe college age or just past, and we're looking at, we still base our value on our friends, on our looks, our relationships. They're getting more important if we want them. How is that going? We're starting to get a job. What's our status? Are we climbing the corporate ladder? Do we not want to do that? But are we happy with what we're getting? Do we have a good social life? Do we have skills? As we get a vehicle, is it the kind of vehicle you want to show off? Or is it the kind of vehicle that you park way out in the back of the parking lot so you just walk up? What kind of things do you have? get married, we still base our value on friends. Our looks, or maybe now it's our spouse's looks, they make us feel better. Where do we live? Do we feel like we've, we've provided a good spot? Do we live in a place we like? Are we starting to build possessions that make us happy? How are our friends doing? Are they in comparable relationships? Are we matching up to what they expect or what we think they expect? Do we get along? Do we are we better or at least matching up to where they are? Maybe we have kids and we stop valuing ourselves so much on our looks, but maybe it's now time. Do I have any? If you're a parent, probably not. Now it's your kids' appearance. Now it's their skills, their talents, how they're doing, their friends. All the things that can keep us up late at night or give us that second opportunity because we want to live through them, hopefully not. The house that we live in, the vehicle we drive. Are we still cool if we have a minivan? I don't know. What kind of possessions? Are we giving them the kind of life that we always thought we'd give our kids? Are we not? Are they happy? Are they not? 
And we treasure a value on that. And then our kids move away, and I've watched people whose kids move away, and I'm not in that stage, thankfully, but I can see them where they base their value on now their adult kids and how they behave. Do they still make them proud? You can't really demand it, but you hope. Now you have maybe grandkids, and you hope you have enough grandkids to have all the pictures to be able to show people and show off how they do so well in sports and they do so well in music and all these things. Are we happy with our ability to pass on a legacy to our kids? And all of us, in whatever stage we are at, we also base it on our wealth, mistakes that we've made, how we feel our life has gone, the things we did that we're glad we did, we wish we hadn't, the things we didn't do, that we wish we could do over again. Or maybe it's different criteria, I don't know, for you, but whatever it is, I think to a certain degree, all of us wake up each morning and either think about or try not to think about what our value is. And again, like I said, it can be different depending on what's going on. You can feel on top of the world in one phone call, one text, one email, one seeing that person again can change it in a heartbeat. And I know for me, and I don't know if it's for you too, but there are those times where it feels like you strip it all away. And in the deep, quiet moments that I look at myself and I say, you know what? I don't feel like I measure up. I'm pretty discouraged. I don't know what my value is. Now, on top of all that depression, thank you, we look at some words from the Apostle Paul that gives us a little bit of encouragement and not so much also. Because we're not the first people that have ever dealt with this. It's a human condition. We won't outgrow it. We, won't out, we definitely won't outlive it. And Paul references some Old Testament scripture in talking to these people. If you don't know Paul, Paul was a first century Jesus follower. He planted churches all over the Mediterranean area, decided to write letters back to them, helping them in their relationship and they're following Jesus. And he's writing to the church at Rome, to Jesus' followers there, and he's saying, he's, it's an interesting study, the whole book is, the whole letter, but he's going through a lot of different things, and he gets to a spot, and he wants to talk to them about kind of this subject and just humans in general. And in Romans chapter 3, he says this in verse 10, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Verse 11 says, no one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. And then he's going to land a punch in verse number 12 that just jumps out to me. He says this, all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Useless. Such a hard landing word. And it's one of those words we know what it means. So it's not one of those like, hey, bring out the dictionary or Google what it means. But yeah, I want to do that anyway, just so we understand exactly what Paul's driving at here. So I looked, and useless means this, of no use. That's one of those when you first look at it. You ever look up a word in the dictionary, it's like, really? Careful, full of care. Useless, of no use. Thank you. I wanted something a little bit more than just that. But it goes farther. It says, not serving the purpose or any purpose without useful qualities of no practical good. 
It's a bit rough. Because I know if you brought something in tomorrow when I'm working at the pawn shop, if you brought something in that matches that description, I know what I would tell you when you ask me to give you money for it. Remember our definition of value, right? The amount that someone is willing to pay for something? If you brought in something that meets that definition of useless, I'm going to look at you and say, I'm not willing to pay anything for that. I mean, look at it. It has no use. It's not fit for any purpose. It's worthless. And Paul is saying, that's us as people. And when I stop and I look at me, what I know about me, what you know about me, and what I'm glad you don't know about me, it makes sense. I can feel that way. Who would pay anything for me anyway? But then there's another thought that hits me if I let it. And it's a thought that's articulated so well by Peter. Peter was another first century Christian. He was actually a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus for over three years, learning from him, seeing everything that he did. And Peter writes a letter to some other Jesus followers that he had ministered to and was working with. And he is talking about their choices that they're making in their life based on their value, interestingly enough. So he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, excuse me, in verse 18, he says, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And that's awesome because it starts to give me a little hope. You mean somebody was willing to pay for me. And it's not just somebody, it's God. God paid a ransom for me. Isn't that amazing? And then I stop and think, well, yeah. I mean, probably didn't pay very much. Kind of a, maybe a bargain bin pickup. Okay, Peter, just let's see. And he continues, he says, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. And this speaks to me because in my job, I have to know the value of gold. I have to know the value of silver. If you get a small amount of gold, about an ounce of pure gold, it's about $1,800 an ounce. That's a lot for not very much. I say, okay, Peter, I get it. I'm not gold standard. I'm not gold level people. And he says, or silver. <laughs> See, that same amount of silver is about $21, $22. Big difference in the price. And Peter's saying, you weren't worth gold. Thank you. I knew that. You weren't worth silver. Because even that can lose its value. You ever make an investment and it loses its value? It's no fun. Okay, Peter, enough with the whole, I know what I'm not worth. So let's see how low the price was. Let's see how little it took to ransom me, to buy, to pay for me. So Peter says this in verse 19. He says, your ransom wasn't gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That's what was paid for you. Remember our definition of value, right? The amount that somebody is willing to pay for something. That's what God paid for you. That's your value. That's your value. That's my value is what was paid for us. I want you to think about it for a minute. No, 
It's not right. Think about it for a long time. God looked at you, you. God looked at you, God looked at me and said, I know what I'm willing to give. I know the payment I'm willing to make. And he chose that. And it matters because anything else, literally anything else that God had paid would ultimately be worthless. Here's why. God made everything. Everything that is, everything that will be, he made. He spoke the world into existence. So he paid gold for you. Big deal, he can make some more. So he gave the entire world for you. No big deal. He said, I made the first one. I'm going to make another one. It's replaceable. And if something is completely replaceable, it has no value because something else can always take its place. God looked at you, God looked at me and decided that that was what our value was. Something irreplaceable. And that explains to us what our value truly is. I want to illustrate this point. Maybe make one other one if I can in the time that we have left. This is a glass vase. Depending on your taste, maybe one of those things like, I wouldn't pay very much for that. It has some value. I know that because I was willing to pay for it. So I know what its value is. So we have something like this. It looks beautiful. And you may be sitting there this morning and, and listening to all that has been said and say, well, I get it. If I felt that I looked like this, then maybe I would have some value. And that's fair. But I think if we had the chance to have a conversation, you might look at me and say, I just, I can't see myself as this anymore. And there's a reason. You see, maybe at one point it was. But you don't know what my fault looked like. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I've done to me. And you're right. I don't know. I don't know what your fall may have looked like if you had one. I don't know what the hammer looked like for you. I don't know if it was in your hands or somebody else's that should never, ever done what they did. I don't know. What I do know is that if you look at me and say, Anthony, this morning, I don't feel beautiful. I feel like just a bunch of broken pieces.
I would look at you and I would say, you're right. You are. And so am I. And so is everybody in this room. Whether we want to admit it, whether we try to hide it, we know there were a bunch of broken pieces. Who would pay anything for this? Who would give their only son for this? I understand if you tell me that God loved me when I was beautiful. But I have a hard time believing he loves me like this. I want to go back to something that Paul said in that same letter to the church at Rome. He said in Romans chapter 5, he said, But God showed his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us. But we were still sinners. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. God didn't decide your value when you were beautiful. He decided it when you were broken. It wasn't surprising to him. It didn't come out of the blue to him. He saw it coming and walked into it when you were broken. And he was still willing to pay. And when you decide to take your broken pieces and give them to him. He can make something beautiful. This is the gospel. This is God's love. This. Something better. Something from broken pieces. Something not useless, not worthless, but useful and beautiful. So I ask you, what is your value? What's your value to God you were worth the one thing he could never replace, himself. And this is all he wants. We see in another place in the New Testament, he says, if anyone is in Christ, it's a new creature, new thing. The old has gone, the old brokenness is gone. The new has come. A chance for us to be a vessel of his love that we get to receive for ourselves and give to others. This is your value because that's what he was willing to pay for you. So what do we do?
with this? What do we do with it? One thing we're going to do in a little bit is we're going to take communion. It's a tangible reminder that Jesus instituted the night before he was crucified to help us remember the cost, to help us remember our value to him. So if you're online and you want to take a moment and grab some stuff around the house to be able to join us as a group taking it, that would be awesome if you want to do that. And we'll do that together shortly. If you've never taken your brokenness and given it to Jesus, today would be a fantastic day to do that. He's inviting you. He wants you. If you're in the room, there's a seat. In the seat in front of you, there's a card that says the gospel. It has a brief overview and some prayer suggestions. Grab that. Decide to put your hands, to put your life in his hands. He wants you. We say it often here, God wanted you back more than he wanted you to pay. He wanted you back so much that he was willing to pay. That's what you can do. For those of us who... We've already made that decision. We've decided to follow Jesus. We've decided to put our lives in his hands. Here's what we can do. We can remember. We can remember what it costs. We can remember that we don't have to be the old, broken thing that we used to be. We don't have to dwell on the hurts the pains, the failures that we feel are our responsibility. He's taken that. He's paid for that. And he wants us to live as if we are loved because we are. But it's not just for us. We're supposed to be vessels. We're supposed to live with the reminder that, yes, we have value. We do. But so do they. Those people that you... It's very easy for us to assign value to. We like them. They make us feel good or we agree with them. Yes, they have value. So do they. Those other they. And we're not sure we like them very much. We're not sure that they have value. God says they do. And if we want to live like children of our Heavenly Father, it's time that we live in such a way that we live like they have value too. So if you've experienced God's love, thank him. And those times where something tempts you to doubt your value, Somebody hurts you, you fail because we're human. We still fail. He knows. It was no more a surprise than it was when he went to the cross. It's time to live like it, like we have value. Don't settle for living broken because you're worth more than that. God loves you. And he can put the pieces back together. It may not be easy. It may not be fast. But with the loving hands of a father, say, come here. 
I love you. Remember that for ourselves, for the people that we encounter every day. That's their value. That's our value.